Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, rooftop groceries, setting the table, drinking alone, and a salty spread. Hello, Joshna. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. Right and yourself? On. I am also really well. Nothing to report. Uh, nothing major. Excited about all the things. Excited actually about all these combos we're going to have. I think we have some interesting things here. Yes. Yeah, speaking of what's mm-hmm. first. Uh, first one up is this really cool piece that I found about a rooftop garden uh, on the roof of an IGA, which is a grocery store in Quebec. Yes. Right? I and love this idea. Very large rooftop garden. A very large rooftop garden. Um, and that, so 20, it's a 2016, they started uh, just because the family that runs the grocery store had this idea that this would be a good idea. I think right? actually it's, it was motivated by a law. A new law was passed. There, you're right. There was municipal, there was a municipal legislation that required green roofs. Uh, I think it was grown. 50% yes. green roof. That's or right. Something like that. But they went full out. They did. Well, and and this family appears to have the uh, a history of being a bit forward thinking, right? In the right. article that talked about the fact that in 1988 they were the first to put fresh produce at the front of the store in the province. I wanted to ask you that what does that mean exactly? Well, is that was that an unusual thing to have produce at the I front? I was surprised about that too. For me from a business perspective, it's your most perishable product, mm-hmm. which is why it's right at the front because this is stuff that people had that has to move the fastest. So, I guess uh, so historically all I'm guessing that's not how is it was that uh, exactly at some point they did not do it that way. But this is um, how it's done now, right? Clearly this yeah. is how it's done now. Every every grocery store you walk into the produce is right there. Um but I'm guessing that at this point it wasn't. Um but it like it just makes perfect sense, right? They talk about using runoff water from air conditioning and from other refrigeration Love to that. actually make that all work. Um, and they talked about a fifty percent increase in produce sales over the course of a year. Yes, right. Yeah. I Which think it was is, organic produce. Sales. Yes, it is because what's what's growing is all organic produce up there. Here's I don't know if you caught this. Tell me, but this is so cool. Yes. Do you know how they order, how you, as a gro- someone in the grocery store, how you order it? No, I didn't see that. Okay. You literally, you go to a kiosk, you type in what you want, and then on a camera, you can see them go up on the roof. No. Pick your produce, and then they bring it down to you within oh minutes. Oh my God, I love that. That is so exciting that to me. That is very exciting. Uh, I mean, I can see how that would boost sales. Yes, and I mean, it doesn't get fresher than that. No, you know, because growing it on the roof is one thing, but picking it to and order. really thinking about how to deliver this to a customer is really important. Um, I love. I mean, I love this so much because it's really leading us in the direction I think we need to go. And while for sure, it's an important note about how municipal legislation can really advance innovation, particularly mm-hmm. around sustainability. What I also love is just another example of the fact that you can just decide to do a thing and do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just do it, right? Just try it out. Just do it. I guess I was just, I mean, I think it's wonderful. And uh, I mean, that whole shopping experience is is next level. That sounds amazing. I was, I'm curious to see how it plays out 
in the long term because mm-hmm. they did mention mm-hmm. in the article that it is more expensive to produce this way, but they're still right. selling their produce at the same price as the other organic produce. Right. Um, and the other thing that, because initially I was super excited because I thought, oh my goodness, this is grocers really connecting mm-hmm, with where the mm-hmm. food is from. And I'm sure that's a piece of it, mm-hmm. but it is a separate company that's, that's, uh, you know, taking care of the farming. Oh, that's okay. Uh, which makes sense. Cause you can't like take a grocery store manager and expect them to immediately understand to know how to grow food. A, yes. A, a, like a wide, cause totally. they're growing. It's uh, quite a diverse uh, spinach, harvest. Swiss yeah. chard, lettuce, kale, carrots, turnip, broccoli, cauliflower, beets, eggplant, strawberries, herbs, all kinds of things. There's so beehives takes, up there, uh, right? Beehives. Yeah. It takes all kinds of expertise. Um, but you know, there's two new people employed and they're taking care of that roof garden. And I just really hope that they find a way to make this uh, affordable and to make it sustainable because it is just such a cool idea. I think so too, and and it's exactly like it's exactly the direction we need to move in. For sure, I'm I, I'm even wonder how many of these people who are seeing their food being picked might have been inspired to maybe start at least start their own herb garden at home. Uh, or, something you know? right? I hope so. The, like the trickle down connection. inspiration, and I'm sure they uh, have. I hope so. Roof tours. They must. They must. Yeah. Uh, but two snaps to this IGA in St. Laurent, right? St. Laurent, Quebec, I it think is. is where it is. Yes. I'd love uh, to visit. I would also love to visit. So I found another study that yeah. I thought you might delight in. Let's hear it. And this one is from the University of Hohenheim in Stuttgart. Thank you. In Deutschland. And this study has concluded that using a tablecloth actually makes your food taste better. I love that. And there's a number of reasons for this. I mean, obviously, uh, there's the it's pleasant to touch. It affects the acoustics of the room. There's yep. like cl- less clanking about. And I'm sure just the, the visual of it, right, just yep. makes you feel like your food I is... I think so. Higher quality. I was really into it because I wanted to. I wanted to see what the what the proof was. You mm. know, I was like, what What are the connections here? What's this all about? This? Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I loved a lot, they referenced Heston Blumenthal, right? Who is who is famous for a number of things, including sending an iPad, uh, an i. Uh, what do you call those things? What an iPod, thank you. Okay. An iPod with headphones out with a seafood dish for sounds of the sea. Really? Yeah. So you okay. get like a it's like a seafood bisque or a chowder or something that you get, and then you get an iPod with earphones and you hear the sounds of the sea as you're eating this thing. Right? The whole point it. about like the the sort of the the atmosphere and the ambiance about the you know what I mean about the dish. I'm I'm getting cow with VR goggle flashbacks here. There's also a thro- uh, a nod to a recent Netflix movie, Always Be My Maybe. I think is what it's called. It's two leads. It. Uh, one of the leads is a chef, uh, but they go to a fancy fancy restaurant and Keanu Reeves plays a guest, mm-hmm. uh, and they he gets uh, headphones much like it has to you know much like what Heston Blumenthal is doing, but he instead is just hearing the sounds of the cow that he is eating. I'm assuming the, while, the sounds while from when the cow was alive. When the cow was alive. Okay. While he is eating the sadly now dead cow. Uh, but And of course that's an extreme presentation, but it's right. this notion that the ambiance can in fact color your, you know what I mean, your appreciation. And it's, it's uh, quite hilarious and worth the watch. He's very good there. 
That's interesting. This yeah. is bringing me back to these cows with VR goggles because it's creating the environment that maybe that food is originally supposed to be enjoyed in, in terms of maybe not so much the cows, but certainly the seafood. If you're yes. you know, near the sea, yes. that kind of thing. Well, you know, and I had I had a similar thought when I was reading this because I, I went and attempted a bit of a deep dive to figure out how long the tablecloth has been with us. Interesting. Right? How long the, pr- the human practice of covering a table with material to eat on has been around. That's true, because uh, you look at, you know, midi- shows that are set in medieval times. Exactly. And everyone's eating exactly. right from the table. Precisely, right? Uh, and when did this show up? And, and why? So the best bit, uh, the best thing that I found was, was the fact that this has strong, strong European roots. Okay. Right, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and in more modern times, uh, the tablecloth is is the sort of symbol of progress, affluence, civilization, propriety, custom, tradition. Right. So a, a well laid table. Right. You know, the desirability of a well laid table always includes a cloth. I'm guessing it, it might have coincided with the advent of laundry. In some fashion, it must, like right? It, to when be able laundry to have, became easier to do, I think it must. Previously, right? it would have just been a nightmare to have a tablecloth. It would just get, I don't know, totally just random. Thoughts. Uh, I think so too. The other thought that I had mm-hmm. was um, was the idea of like if if you imagine like a farmhouse or a place where there was one table mm-hmm. that was multi-purpose. So that when eating time came, the way you signified the transition between the working and the eating was to put a nice. cloth down, yeah. right? And set and be like, now we are doing this thing where we can put our hands and elbows, and, you know what I mean, whatever it is, and eat at this table. Um, but I thought I really liked the anchor in the cloth itself because connecting back to this VR cows thing, mm-hmm. The notion of a table is very commonplace, the idea of a tablecloth. We have now sort of poo-pooed it in, a, in an embrace of less fussy things, uh, you know what I mean, and, yeah. and all of that. But for a very long time, tablecloths, and, and continue to be mm-hmm. a really important part of meals. And so I wonder if there is an inherent comfort in the notion of a well-laid table that connects us to the way we potentially should be enjoying our meals. That makes sense. Right, which is why the pole is there, why maybe you enjoy food better with the, because one of the pieces in the, uh, one of the bits in the piece you shared talked about how people linger longer at a table with a cloth. Yes. Right, which I yes. loved, and that they, that they report a more relaxed feeling and, and they ate more food and, you know, this sort of thing. So I think I think there's something there, right, about the fact that that's kind of the way food was intended to be enjoyed uh, and when you when you take the time to actually do it as opposed to shoving something from a plastic container in your mouth behind the wheel of your car, it's a very different. Ex- it, there is uh, an increase, let's say, in, in holistic nourishment, right, yeah, with what you're actually taking in. I think so. The other piece that was very interesting was how the pattern on the tablecloth or the color yes, of the tablecloth yes. can impact people and here we're getting back to that maybe that vr goggle kind of vibe so you know a red and white checkered cloth is great for italian cuisine of course it's reminiscent yep. of it um and a floral tablecloth with sunflowers is reminiscent of right France a french linen french thing cuisine. right but what i found more interesting is because i'm really into color theory I okay find it, i find it something that's really uh interesting to think about mm-hmm. the fact that the color of a room can impact your mood totally uh, so 
apparently it also affects how we appreciate food. So pink, coral pink increases perception of sweetness and decreases bitterness. So it's great for, for example, strawberries. Uh, Aqua blue dials down saltiness. Dials down some connection to the sea. I don't know. Something, right? And mustard yellow improves the taste of green foods and seafood. Oh, I love that. So, I mean, I feel like that's really getting out there. I mean, I don't know if you want to change your tablecloth each time you're eating a new food, but it's just really fascinating to think about how each aspect, whether it's something you're listening to or what you're looking at or what you're touching, really, really is part of the eating experience, going back to what you were saying before. It is, and I think there are things that we have really sort of dismissed as yeah. unimportant, as unnecessary. We just need to put some food in there. You know what I mean? When you're just thinking about eating as filling the tank, mm-hmm. we don't think about the fact that there should be some nice linens and that what is the light in the room and what, you know, the other flowers on a table or whatever it is. They just seem like like nonsense frills and luxuries that are not necessary. When I think that a lot of our dislocation and disconnection is letting us know that they, in fact, are necessary things. Right, and, like and a, they do improve the experience. They do, and and it's and it's part of it. It's but they improve the experience in a way that's about basic human eating, not some sort of bourgeoisie experience. Which right? it is now, right? You yeah. go to most restaurants that aren't high end, and there's no there's no not at all, and, and 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 in an expression of some sort of liberation. Mm-hmm. Too like it's not just we can't afford a tablecloth. It's we're choosing not to Wait, fussy this fussy. up with a tablecloth when that may not be the best move. Okay, I really like this next one that you brought to the table. Tell us about it. It's uh, a post I came across recently called uh, "In Defense of Sitting in a Pub on Your Own." Yeah. Is this something you do, Joshna? Uh, I, I do. And I like, well, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's not fair to say I do so easily mm-hmm. because I realize that I, I distinctly don't, I don't drink at home by myself. Okay. But I will happily go and sit in a pub by myself. Right. Right? Happily. Um, and, and I was really into, when I read this, I really, it, I really was sort of uh, taken by the public-private distinction about all of this that there and and that and that part of a pub's design is about making space for a solitary drinker or or the notion of a bar where there's one stool and you you know what I mean you yeah. can talk to it like there's got to be room for that but I and, and that it's not something that's sad or pitiful I mean you may be wallowing or you know what I mean any number of things could be happening but I really I I, I appreciated revisiting of the original intentions here yeah, you can you can find solace in a beer if you're yeah, wallowing man. it does happen um, but it was interesting because I have never understood the stigma or sadness right. when you see right. someone drinking by themselves. To me, that's not a sad thing, but I mostly drink in pubs. And as you just pointed out, I think pubs do make space for that. Yes. And I just, the descriptions were really vivid and the idea that the noise in a pub is both soothing and stimulating. Totally. That really resonated with me because yep. I, I come from a noisy house. Mm-hmm. Many people in that house. I don't know about you. Uh, and I find it, no matter what I'm doing, I focus better when there's noise around me. A bit of, yes. So I have been known to go to the pub to get things done. Mm-hmm. Me as well. I've gotten lots of work done in a pub. For sure. 
uh, and now pubs with Wi-Fi, me and my laptop, every, it's like it's a happy, happy scenario with right. your pint and a coaster beside you. It's uh, It sorts it all out really nice. You get nicely. peckish, you're in business. Yeah. There's uh, no problem there. Yeah. And uh, I think there are so many reasons for drinking alone. It is a very meditative meditative. Thing. If you're just totally having one is. pint or, or two pints, yep. you know, you're not there to, you know, it's not a depressing thing. And, and it doesn't need to be, right? It, for me, like, it falls under self-care. It, it does. Or just a way to spend your time. True. Right? It's just uh, we make a lot of assumptions, not realizing that, a, that the, the physical setup is even designed for you to be able to just you in a stool Right. And have a drink and maybe talk to someone nice behind the counter who's polishing a glass or something. Right. It's uh, I was really into this um, and it really pushed me to to be like, you know, because I'm like my response was, oh, I don't drink alone. Okay. Right. So you did feel that stigma a little bit. And I was like, well, what is that saying? Mm-hmm. If I drink, a, you know what I mean? What is it saying? I was saying maybe things are not okay. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Is that really something I'm I need to hide? Right. The answer is no. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. And Within isn't it reason. nice to have human, like presence around when you're, yes. you know, that that's there's something comforting about that. Depending I on think how so too. What both kind of celebration sad and sad, like in both directions, right? Like there's there's really something to be said about the the glory of an Irish wake, mm-hmm. right? Where everybody's hearts are really really heavy, but the whiskey is flowing and good times are being remembered. Uh, just like the when a, of your your football team has won. That's right. right. The same jubilation uh, connects to it. I think the role that a pub plays and the role like and that uh, like, listen, this could be a bit idyllic what I'm about to say, but the notion that it is a bit of a community space. So there needs to be room for a community to behave in the various ways that they will. It's not just one way to hang out in a pub. Right. I don't think that's idyllic. I think that's the notion. I I, I think so, too. And I, I was happy for the reminder. Here's an interesting thing, though. I don't know if you noticed at the very end Uh of the article, he did make a statement that I want to share. Uh, He talks about his privilege as a white man. Yes, 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 he does. To be able to drink alone in a pub. Yep. And then he says, women, of course, need to have reached, in quotation marks, the age of invisibility. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Before they can sit at a pub table by themselves. Thank you. I saw that and I was like, pal, what a thing to drop in the last (laughs) two lines of the piece. And I was like, and and then I was like, maybe what you understand is age of invisibility. What I is two different things. But I was like, that's a mighty drop at the end of the piece. I don't know. I mean, I think in certain contexts, I mean, if you go into a club and you're drinking alone, someone's going to say hello. I understand that. But in a pub... Even before reaching the age of invisibility, of invisibility. Have, I'm not sure if I've gotten there yet. I, he does yeah, not, I'm not sure where that threshold is. He doesn't specify what age that God is. He, he we doesn't. might have to ask him. <laughs> um, but even yeah, I think it was just an odd thing to say in the context of a pub. Because if there's one space where you generally don't get bothered, yes, it is a pub. Yep, I agree. Uh, it does happen on occasion and... You know, it's. I think it's perfectly fair if you see someone drinking alone to just say hello and, you know, like maybe they don't want to be drinking yeah. alone. Maybe they're new to town and That's they're it. there because they're hoping uh, to I make mean, a connection somehow. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have, you know, made many successful or begun many successful journeys at a pub where I've met people. Me who too. Have no, Me so, too. So that's definitely a yeah. thing. But the whole, you know, 
as he mentioned, as he, I think he calls it the molestation, right? The, yes. the, that intense is not something I associate with pubs. Um, no, unless, me neither. Not at all. I mean, maybe the age of invisibility is 10. I don't, or yeah, like, who knows? I'm exaggerating. I start, let's say 18. I know, we're teasing this guy a little bit. But at um, the same time, one of the things I really noticed was that I, whenever I travel, mm-hmm. I go happily to a bar and a pub by myself and sit at the bar and drink. When I, when I, I never do that here right. at home. But whenever I'm traveling, I will always, it was, it's reliable. At the bar, though. At the bar. Because you know why? Because mm. bartender is nowhere to send you. Yes. It's <laughs> true. Plus, the there's also, of travel. <laughs> in, as a woman in a new place, mm-hmm. there's a safety if you make a connection with a bartender. Yes. A, a connection other than, not more than, hey, I'm here. Yes. And this is what, you know what I mean? And so uh, if any sort of lecherous anything happens, you have a bit of... Uh, protection and connection somehow, right? So a bartender is mm-hmm. a senior knows what you're drinking or whatever else it's been. Um, but there is, there, th- there's a social tool there. There right? is. Right? A bartender is a person who knows things, who is a safe space, who is a source of information, uh, you know what I mean? And in an emergency potentially can be supportive. But I, uh, I really dug this um, because I've always, as somebody who is single, who travels by myself a lot, yep. there are I have lots of opportunities to just need one space for one person to eat or drink something. And uh, I don't know, pubs. See, you do drink pubs. alone. I do drink alone. That's something I really wanted to, to bring up. Yeah. Because um, I, spending time alone at a pub is a very important experience I, for I me. I am with you. Uh, whether yeah. I'm you know, engrossed in my thoughts or, or just people watching, which is also mm-hmm. delightful, as mm-hmm. he points out. Uh, I think it's a wonderful experience. And those who are shying away from it due to a stigma, I would say. Lighten up. Give it a try. Go, go try it out. The next thing I'd like to talk Ooh, about, Joshna. This is exciting. Is Marmite. Marmite. Are you a Marmite on toast kind of gal? Not on toast. Really? No, no. It's more than I can handle. Uh, It's mega. I've tried it. I had more success Marmite on buttered toast. Oh, yes. Well, the butter is necessary. Uh, That was more palatable, (laughs) but the like Marmite dry toast, I was like, this is not a war. I didn't know that was a thing. This is not wartime. I didn't know that was Uh, a thing. This is a little too Dickensian, I think, for my (laughs) tastes. But... Um, Marmite in the kitchen, I think is there, like, I think it is something that has been there for a long time is a little bit of a secret. Interesting. Well, before we dive in. Yes. I just, I mean, in my mind, Marmite is a household thing, but I thought we should maybe Mm. take a moment for our listeners who might not be familiar with this particular A hundred percent we should, because it's definitely not a household thing in my house. Um, um, it, I wasn't for me yeah, growing not up, at all. but uh, I had the good fortune of having some British uh, acquaintances. You have some I see who introduced in you, and I may or may not have had breakfast at their house and discovered right this. I have to say, the first time I had it, yeah, I thought it was disgusting, right? Because it's mega, and it's so weird because I just this is the first and maybe the only time this has happened to me. I thought it was gross, yeah. And then in the coming days, I found myself thinking about it oh. and thinking, I guess this it is left you know, literally an what an acquired taste I is. I think you're right. right. It left a bit of an imprint on you. And yeah. it makes sense because anything that's super salty, I'm, I'm keen on, but mm-hmm. uh, I ended up just, it was nagging me so much. It turned into a craving and I ended up buying Anchovies some. did that and, to me. Uh, yeah. That happened to me. I ate them once and I was like, oh, and then I was like, what is that thing? 
I need more of that thing. Salt again. Yeah. And umami. Yes. And umami. Right. right. I feel like the umami is a, is a really a key piece here with this Marmite. So Marmite is a brown, I think we can say sludgy spread. Mm-hmm. It is extremely salty, full of umami. It is made from spent yeast from mm-hmm. brewing, which I love. Yes. And fun fact, I was reading up, it's full of B12, which is a compound that's oh. commonly found in meats. Yes. So this being, of course, made from yeast is vegetarian. Yep. So something definitely that vegetarians should be considering for their diet. As a supplement, right. And for me, it's always been something that belongs on toast, but I read an article recently saying I that Marmite on toast. it's uh, having this huge resurgence. And Marmite is now making, I don't know if you caught this, uh, Marmite Brussels sprouts that you can buy frozen no. and cook. Uh, sadly, not here. That's in Iceland. Wow. Marmite pot noodles, which sounds like a delightful thing. Yes. And here's the weird one. Let's hear it. Marmite peanut butter. I know. I know. I saw it in the same jar. It's like this swirly thing that you can buy. Apparently, it was inspired by, you know, people who eat Marmite, swearing by Marmite and peanut butter, which I'm honestly scared to try, but I will try. Oh, I'm so excited for you to try the things that I have made because that theme returns. Okay. Yes. So, right. I was reading this article and I started thinking, hold on. I know. Maybe Marmite is for more than just toast. And I sent you that email. 100%, yes. Ask, is this a secret ingredient that's been used in the kitchen for years and we just don't know about it? I, uh, my British... Chef pals. Okay. Use it a lot. It's a wonderful thing to throw into a stew, right? Because it is such a flavor bomb. It 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 um because it's lacking animal bits, right? It doesn't have the same mouthfeel like something like demi-glace does. Okay. But it behaves flavor-wise in a very similar way. Right. And and when I was working with it in the kitchen just this morning, uh, I was like, it is it has the same texture as corn syrup. And I use the same tricks. With how I get it out of a spoon and how I play, you know what I mean? And how you manipulate it in the kitchen as I deal with corn syrup. But there's it's there's nothing sweet about it. That's what's so curious. Oh, it's just salty. So using it in the kitchen is very it's it's like something we also discovered that miso behaves like this a lot, right? Because it that umami is a largely unaddressed flavor profile. In, in sort of conventional ways. So miso does such a great job to fill that open space. And I think that Marmite plays the same game. Okay. Right. And so I went in search of some recipes mm-hmm. and I found one from the Marmite website itself. And okay. then I found another adaptation, two different presentations. Uh, and it's really interesting because this is actually a bit of a dream to work with in the kitchen. Really? Right? Because I like the way the flavor just blends in. You can whisk it in pretty easily into things. I whisked it into egg yolks and milk, and I whisked it in just to a bit of water um, on the stove for these almonds, and it it was very friendly. It never, like, I love Marmite so much, and it never in oh my a million God. years occurred to me to okay. cook with it. So the first thing I made were Marmite almonds. Okay. Right? The recipe was Marmite cashews, but listen, I had almonds. So this is the way it went, but... That works out nicely because I don't like cashews. No, me neither. And you can't <laughs> eat that many cashews. Um, but the this very simple, just a little bit of Marmite. I added some chili because I, like I can't help Ooh, myself. Yeah. Um, and you just warm it up and then toast it. But... Okay. Uh, I, here, I want you to taste it first because I don't okay. want to inform your tasting and then we'll have a conversation. 
I'm just going to have a few more. Please. Because the Marmite is not coming through very loudly. No, it's not. The chili is, I love how you toasted these. They're really the nice. The balance works, I think. But, yeah, it's that first hit on the tongue. You get the saltiness of yes. the Marmite. And I feel like it's adding a richness. So now think mm-hmm. dry peanut butter. Right. You see what I see? Mm-hmm. The, the peanut butter angle on there? I, I now get how Marmite and peanut butter work together. But, but it's distinctly dry. There's a dryness about mm-hmm. what's happening with these almonds. That yeah. is like, it's compelling, but it's distinct at the feels same some time. It feels like some of the crunchier, like just peanuts that have been ground. Yes. Peanut butter that yes. I've had. Yes. Interesting. That is, it's a curious bit. And that's just Marmite chili and a bit of water. That's addictive. Yeah. Although I might, I might put a little more Marmite on it. I think so too. <laughs> if it was me. I actually think it's a I bit mild. Yeah. In in this whole jar, there's like two teaspoons. Okay. So we could, you could, I, uh, I, I, my, my eye said that needs a tablespoon, mm-hmm. but then I was like, oh, too much Marmite is a definite thing. But not in my world. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have not had Marmite straight on a spoon yet, but I'm, I'm not, okay. I'm not far. I love it. I love it. Um, So Marmite, Marmite almonds are here. And I think think I'm going to send you home with these. Super easy. Uh, Very easy. And uh, and a conversation piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Next bit is Marmite. (gasps) uh, A nod to our British friends. Marmite cheese scones. They're little pinwheel scones. Uh, and so there's old cheddar because Marmite has these English roots and old cheddar and yeastiness and the bread. It all just seemed to work together really beautifully. So here they are. Uh, they literally just came out of the oven like 40 minutes ago. Uh, I even have some little things. You should give it a try uh, because there's Marmite both in the dough and then I spread the dough out and I mixed cream cheese, old cheddar and Marmite together and spread that and then rolled it and sliced Cream cheese, Marmite, and old Old cheddar. cheddar. You can smell the cheddar. Mm -hmm. And scones are one of my favorite things. I think I would put a wash on it if I made them again. Mm -hmm. This looks a little dry on the outside, but I like the tenderness. It's supposed to be dry. Well, thanks for that. It's supposed to be dry and crumbly. There we are. That's the joy of scones. (laughs) Ooh. They're nice, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that flavor a lot. And I think I, I think it fills the open space beautifully. I might be tempted to go in there with some green herbs. I was thinking yes. about thyme or something like that would fit in there. Oregano, maybe. Um, My only concern there would be not to overshadow. hundred percent. Maybe even chives. Yes. Just there's a little high up that high up so, space. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, but I thought that was a win. I will make those again. Oh my goodness. I think goodness. they're great. This is, pr- and this is making me re- seriously think about the next time I have, uh, Marmite on toast, whether I should add a piece of cheese. Yes, you that should. Definitely. Is Definitely. I think it works beautifully. A little Marmite tarts, hors mm-hmm. d'oeuvres and things like that. I think they'd be beautiful. So Marmite, stick with it. Uh, and maybe I'm going to revisit my toast opinion because it's been a while. But uh, I love it. I think there's lots of room for it in the kitchen. It stays with me. So here's the thing. Yeah. This article was saying Marmite is having, quote unquote, a resurgence in the kitchen. Right. But it's not so much that it's having a resurgence. What's happening is previously uh, the chefs were not mentioning on the menu that there was Marmite 
yes. in there because Marmite I think is you're right. polarizing, it's polarizing, right? I think 100%. their actual slogan was "You either love it or you hate it." Right, much like the Buckley's <laughs> people, they're like, "It's tough, but it, yeah." That's right. Yeah. So now they're what's happening is we're now seeing it on the menu. It's becoming yes, you they're know, being transparent about trendy it, trendy or cool Kitsch, in some nostalgia, way. Nostalgia, so, so all of that. So here's my last question to you. Let's hear it. Uh, as a chef here in Toronto, mm-hmm. if you were using Marmite in something, would you put it up front on the menu? Or would uh, you I, keep it as a secret? No, I'd 100%. I'd, and I'd be boastful yeah. about it. I'd be excited because I think it's smart and really interesting. Uh, I would not hide it at all. Uh, and in fact, I when I put the chilies in the almonds, I was like, I wonder how Marmite in a more intense masala flavor would work. Ooh. Right? Because it's mega flavor, but I come from a population of people who are cool with giant flavors. So next experiment is is the Indian kitchen with the Marmite. Nice. I will report back. I'm going to finish this scone. Eat it. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a rating or review. It helps others find us. Hot Plate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Original music by Dave Bell. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening. Thank you.